0: Hello and welcome to the Trippity Show, my name is James Trippity, this is my show and today we are back at the Beginner's Guide to Professional Wrestling in Japan, Long time and we are going back to the schism in all Japan Pro Wrestling, or the 1, two third 3rd schism? Second schism. Second schism in All Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> um this, this about three. Um, there might be another one for all we know. Um, there is about three schisms in All Japan Pro Wrestling history. Important schisms anyway. And we're talking specifically about the biggest of the three, which was the Noah schism of the early 2000s. And then myself and Mr. Alex Watt, who ably joins me today.
1: Hello. Yes, it's, it's been, a it feels like ages since we last covered this, the All Japan Noah split and kind of previewed this
0: yes and we have done one show where we was kind of looking at zero one which kind of tangled into this story with john dinsdale where we looked at zero one versus all japan for about two years down the line mm-hmm. but it's the only footage you can find of zero one is when they've appeared on other people's cards because there's... yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's like well i kind of had to make a bit of a, a scooch in the kind of story there but it's what can you do you know um so this kind of like is the end of the beginning, I guess, in the the schism story. Um, This covers the first major card of all Japan since the split, and it covers the first few months of Noah as a television product and Mm. the angles that are involved. So these are the two shows we're going to look at. One was essentially what will be the Giant Baba Memorial Show, AJPW's King's Road New Century 2001, which was on the 20th of January at the Tokyo Dome. And we also have uh, a, a tape that's available on, on YouTube, which is a, a NOAA highlight tape of the first serious main event feud in NOAA history, which was uh, Kenta Kabashi versus Yun Akiyama, which involved a whole bunch of stuff.
1: Mm. Uh, it was it was really interesting for this because it's basically like a crash course in that feud <laughs> and an episode and everything that it brought in in their first five months. So for like a, a history of Japanese wrestling podcast, perfect, <laughs> perfect for the it, first few months of Noah. And it gives everything
0: you need to know as well about the booking style of the company, how they changed things since the old Japan split, what they were going to look to do next, um, and. This first card kind of does too, but in a completely different
1: way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can we can see very clearly that the stalls of both companies at this time laid out very clearly in these two cards or these two videos rather. Yes. Now, this old Japan show was
0: Matoko Baba at her finest level of negotiation. I have. <laughs> I don't know what she did to get all of these people on the same card at the same time. Um and how many prayers she made <laughs> to <laughs> pray to, and the fact that perhaps her husband's body was spinning in his grave at a gravitational pull level. Mm. Um, because essentially, Matoko Baba said when uh, Misawa and the Noah crew left that she was going to keep the traditions of all Japan together because that's what her husband wanted, and this card is. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It could not be further removed from that statement, could it?
0: <laughs> I mean, we opened with a 30-man battle royal, which isn't on the tape, and there's a bunch of guys all plucked from FMW, from Michinoku Pro, anywhere they could find anyone who was ably bodied enough. Uh, the only person who has a serious pedigree in All Japan Pro Wrestling was Dan Crawford, and he won it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is reasonable. Fair enough. <laughs> um, on the grounds, you're the only person anyone's heard of. No. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that uh,
1: throughout the cards, to be honest.
0: There was a lot of I mean, guys like Grand and Stoker Ichikawa were in there, but they're not going to win a battle royal full of LV8s, let's be honest. But the actual first match, which is in, not in order, by the way, on the tape, the tape is all over the place because it starts mm. with Stan Hansen's retirement speech, which was lovely.
1: Yes, nice, it was. Nice
0: to see the big man have a deserving send-off uh, on the big stage. And it was interesting to see how Bruiser Brody was still that over, what, 15, what, 12 years after he died.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, it was lovely yeah. seeing that footage of them together before the, yeah. the kind of ceremony. Um Because, yeah, that was obviously... Because this drew, like, 30,000 fans, didn't it, still to the Dome, even though all Japan... Really, thirty thousand. But yeah, fifty-eight
0: thousand seven hundred standing room only. It says here on cage match.
1: There you go. There you go. Yeah. So they're still they were still drawing a massive crowd despite being as we're going to talk about in a in a bit of a mess. <laughs> this card, like it was, <laughs> it was quite all over the place because obviously most of the roster had gone and split and made the exodus to Noah, which we'll chat about on the next with the next video, but. They had, you know, a shredded roster. So they'd obviously put on the retirement ceremony of Stan Hansen, I think, as well, to draw the people to the show. Because, um, yeah, where with this show, like as a whole, as you kind of touched on, we've it's gone against so much of what Giant Baba kind of stood for Um and so much of what had caused <laughs> the mass exodus and like this split and everything Misawa was frustrated with and then suddenly we've got cross promotional matches we've got new japan and all japan wrestlers facing each other including in the main event and then we've got so many matches <laughs> playing off nostalgia and guys who were far past their best and then they've thrown in the in-ring retirement ceremony of stan hansen as well so it's it's very like get a lot of names on the card that people would recognize it felt like to draw the people to the dome at a time when they they were not in the best state roster wise. Is that fair? That's reasonable. It, it's not. It doesn't feel like
0: complete. Like this doesn't feel that much different to the giant bobber memorial card uh, and the destroyer memorial card of like a year and a half ago or two years ago it doesn't feel mm. that much different and that was at Budokan, and there was ten thousand there and it was all right it was great but it was it was supposed to be three hours of fun to celebrate wrestling this yeah, feels so like that
1: was that was the last show we we will have covered right
0: no no i'm thinking about the one that was like the actual one from 2019 uh, it was
1: oh sorry okay yeah
0: to see tanashi was in the main event tagging with Yoshi Tatsu against uh, big lad from BJW, Daisuke Shinzaki, and um, uh, a triple crown champion at the time, whose name escapes me, him. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to, I didn't think about it, I should have looked this up before I started. But that was supposed to be two hours of fun with a fun main event with some big names, having some mm-hmm. fun. This yeah. feels like that, but it also tries to relaunch the company at the same time.
1: Yeah because that, that's the thing <laughs> That's the thing because like the the old Japan, new Japan sort of partnership was in place by this point, and yeah, you know it, it's funny, obviously, because we're talking a lot at the moment about all these forbidden doors being kicked open and wrestling with AEW and Impact and New Japan and stuff like that, and old Japan and New Japan kind of breaking down those barriers in the early noughties and agreeing to work together and cross promote was very much that in in Japanese wrestling, I suppose. Um, so you had that, but then, I mean, if I this is 2001. If I read out some of these names that are on the card,
2: <laughs> um,
1: 2001, bearing in mind, Terry Funk, Atoshi Anita, Abdullah the Butcher is on there, Kamala. This,
0: to be fair, this might be Abby's last watchable match.
1: Yeah, to be fair, like, they they put the work in, but I bet they were paid a hell of a lot to come over and do yes. this match. Um, but, yeah, those guys are all there in a the match. Fujiwara, Mil Mascaris, who must have been nearly 60 at this point, um, El Hijo Del Santo, Mike just, Rotunda. Just, just to point,
0: out of those names you've just read... Mm. Uh, Anita and Mil Mascaris were on that card I just talked about in 2019. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, things there you change. Go. More things don't say. Because
1: um, then, yeah, on top of that, sorry, there's like Rotunda, Barry Windham, Kurt Hennig, Dr. Death, Steve Williams still there as well. It's not it's not a card of guys in their prime and yeah, it's absolutely wild that like mascaras is still popping up on shows <laughs> fairly like, recently it, Well yeah, it's like um,
0: Deezy, who I follow on Twitter, she's a big uh, Dragon Gate and oh, AJPW fan she's from New Zealand and she was doing a watch along of uh, Dragon Gate 2016 mm-hmm. and uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwari was on that <laughs> it's like, Crazy. Known aerialist high flyer, Yoshi <laughs> 2016, yeah, having, having some of that. Yeah. Watch this tofe suicider. There you go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, you old. Kim Ducks in this opening match. Kim Duck. Yeah. Kim Duck yeah. was a WWE wrestler in the eighties. He's already 20 years past his WWE prime. We all know how they like him. Old. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, Kim Duck and Shigeo Ekimura did beat Nobuyuki Araki and Yoshiaki Fujiwara in 14 minutes 33 seconds. Fujiwara turns up. is clearly the biggest name in the show and is pissed. <laughs> and, <he shucks. laughs> um, and it's 14 minutes and 33 seconds of Fujiwara no-selling headbutts as far as I can tell, which I'll sit and watch all day where it isn't exactly yeah. cutting-edge professional wrestling experience, is it?
1: This is the thing. And again, we're, we're talking about all Japan pro wrestling here, putting on <laughs> a card which was built around, you know, realism. Oh, you yeah, realism and the four pillars and, you know, just fantastic, cutting-edge, the best wrestling you could see in the mid-'90s, basically. And now it's this, <laughs> is what we're watching, which is, you know, all the mm-hmm. guys doing doing nostalgia, basically.
0: Speaking of which, the next match was El Hijo, Del Santo and Mil Mascaris defeating Archangel Muerte and Blue Panther in 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Some of the greatest names in lucha history and
1: mm. Mil Mascaris. Um <laughs> Is Mick Foley on the call? He said all I can think when I watch Mill Mascaris now is how much Mick Foley hated working with him for, like, all those stories in his book, like, every time but how, I like mean, unprofessional he was to work
2: with.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair to him, he was a massive All Japan star in the 1970s. Mm. His feud with the Destroyer was intense and incredible. He had matches with Harley Race which were unbelievable when he oh, was yeah. in his prime. However, this is not his prime. Uh, no, well, was- this is...
1: Yeah, like I say, I, I think he must have been nearly sixty by this point. And to be fair to him, he still does cracks out a couple of dives, which is, you know,
2: no yeah. joke.
1: He's obviously doing the nostalgia stuff, and he's on the apron for most of it. You know, El Hijo del Santo is doing the majority of the work from the from you know what we see of the match, but a couple of dives to pop the crowd. So you can't you can't begrudge him that. He would have been fifty nine at this point, or fifty eight. Yeah. So on is. the on the verge of his 60th birthday.
0: On the cusp, if you will.
1: <laughs> but he um, does do a dive from the top turnbuckle to the outside, so fair play. I don't think I'll be cracking that out at 60.
0: And not being funny, that match he had, I can't remember who he was tagging with, but it was another Lucha legend, and he was tagging against a couple of the more experienced Wrestle One guys who knew what they're mm-hmm. doing, like Nassawa and I think it was Nassau and Kazayashi. So they're like they know what they're doing and they looked after him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah.
0: This 76 year old bloke came off the top rope with a crossbody, which was amazing to see a 68 year old guy come off the top rope. But you know, it's like, have you not persuaded him to do something slightly less, you know, fracture inducing? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. More brutal, uh, yeah.
0: Yes, yes. But uh, yeah, I, there was nothing wrong with it. But it was standard lucha match at the time. And well, yeah. standard lucha match of 1983, to be honest with you. It was a, it was a Mil match. He gets to save the day, despite the fact that he's a much bigger style than is, But not yeah. in pro wrestling. Like, let's be fair. And after the match, he, he saw the Destroyer. I went over and shook his hand and him and the Destroyer had a chat, which was nice. I thought. A <laughs> lovely <that> little, <laughs> little chat. good spent, spent a good part of 10 years trying to rip each other to pieces, but, you know, let's have a chat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Again,
0: nostalgia. <laughs> yes. Um, also on this card was Team Strong's Masahito Kakihara and Mitsuyu Nagaya, and they defeated Alexander Asuka and Muhammad Yone 11 minutes and 39 seconds. Four guys from um Battle Arts <laughs> <laughs> people who are not all Japan pro wrestlers. And Muhammad Yone is, of course, famous as one of the most um successful mid-card and upper card talents in Noah history and
1: is current on the on the English commentary for Noah, which will show you how long his Ail Japan Association lasted. Yeah, there's there's a few interesting things like that. Obviously like like Sasaki being in the main event and what would happen <laughs> with him in, you know, a few years down the line and stuff like that as well. So yeah, yeah it it was <laughs> it these were kind of like, you know, Tense, <laughs> tense times, <laughs> shall we say?
0: Yeah, I mean that match is actually probably the most watchable thing on the card. It's got four young wrestlers who are trying to find their place in the mm. in the wrestling world. They're really good, and they have a go. And you can't absolutely, really
1: some... which is what is lacking from this card overall. Which we're gonna, you know, chat about Noah in a bit, where that was such a big focus for them in their first, particularly, you know, the putting focus on the junior heavyweight division and bringing those guys through. So whereas All Japan, you can see from this card, it's very rooted in the past <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's
0: just, it, it's a great card, but it's, it's a great match, but it's not the match of this company. It's a match from somebody else's company that's been transplanted onto this card because they needed to fill 10 minutes. And exactly. these guys can get you know, and Battle Arts didn't really have that many storylines. It was much more of a realistic wrestling promotion. It's a shoot-style promotion. And I, I think, I believe, me and Dara saw these two teams wrestle each other on a Battle Arts card when I made him watch Battle Arts and Michinoku Pro one day, <laughs> just to see just to see what he'd come up with. Like, <laughs> sublime and ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and, and Dara thoroughly enjoyed it. He thought it was cool. He liked it. Darryl had never seen shoot style wrestling before. And he was like, oh, this is like MMA, but like, you know, with storylines. Ace. Anyway, so So that's that. But it's good and it's solid. But again, it's
1: not all Japan pro wrestling, is it? Yeah, and that's the thing on a card like this. It's like with all these kind of nostalgia matches, which, let's be honest, aren't great for the most part. you need they need to put some actual wrestlers who can go on the card as well, or I imagine even with all the big names you know fans fans are going to kick off, they're not going to be happy if they go yeah. to a wrestling show and they don't see some good wrestling,
0: yeah, I mean, the next match is probably the best example of that. This is mm. George Hines, Jim Steele, and Johnny Smith. They defeated Barry Wyndham, Kurt Ennig, and Mike Thunder, <laughs> and it's like. Kurt Hennig, Mike Rotunda, and and Barry Windham were clearly in need of a payday Mm. (laughs) because there's no reason for them to be there. None of them had big All Japan careers. Rotunda probably had a few matches in All Japan in the 80s when he was associated with the NWA. Hennig had some big matches in All Japan when he was AWA World Champion. He defended the AWA World Championship against Tiger Mask 2, which was, of course, Masara Masawa. Mm-hmm. And Wyndham spent most of his new Japan career in Japan in New Japan with his, the WCW association. Though so I suppose he would have done small Japan stuff in the early '80s when he was kind of more of an NWA wrestler. Obviously, Johnny Smith was a long-standing All Japan wrestler yeah. and another one of the few Gaijins who stayed with the company. Um, George Hines was George Hines. Just uh, I'm trying to think of anything else where we'd seen him from um he was a shoot style wrestler that was trained by jackie fulton uh of the fantastics and um jungle jim Steele, uh, who was a uswa wrestler from the early 90s went on to wcw and is the main reason why jim ross kept calling jungle boy jungle jim yeah in his <laughs> commentary. um and Johnny Smith, Jimmy Steele, and George Hines are bad. They're all right. I mean, Johnny mm. Smith is an exceptional professional wrestler. While I would, this was a discussion a few weeks, a few years, months ago. I was talking about Johnny Smith as like being underappreciated. But as a few people who are much more au fait with All Japan than I am, he had a tendency to blow his opportunities. He bit mm. of a, didn't perform when he should have done to get as far as he should have done, really. And, was and you know, as Dynamite talked about in, in his autobiography, didn't really know his own worth as a wrestler, which is always going to be a yeah. bit of a problem. And it's Enig and Rotunda are fine, but they turned up like it's a house show for the WWE and they're just going to have a match
1: and they're the heels in that scene. A hundred percent, yeah. That was the entire vibe of, of this match. was It's completely like house show kind of level um yeah. which when you're in the Tokyo dome with this many fans is <laughs> probably not the attitude to have it's interesting cuz didn't um henig went back to the WWE like not too long after this and had a little run as, as mr perfect again didn't he yeah, I which bet, yeah. which he was good like <laughs> to be fair like so it was interesting watching this and you would watch this and think he's you know kind of passed it and it was only when i thought about it that i was like but he did he had that little run afterwards and he looked really good again in wwe so yeah it was obviously just they'd shown up to, to take the cash i think and it's
0: also it's like barry windham and kurt Enig, i can understand west texas rednecks they had a history together there was mm-hmm. something there microtunda Rotunda,
2: eh?
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's
0: he's also there
1: for, for some reason yeah, it's-
0: I like Mike Rotunda. I always thought it was an underrated worker. IRS is one of the best characters of the WWE's cartoon era. However, yeah. he wasn't ever like, you know, Luthez or anything, was he? It, you know, it doesn't
1: fit as the, as the team. It doesn't really fit other than no. here's three, you know, here's three Gaijins who you know who we've brought in and they're going to work together kind of <laughs> here's, thing.
0: Here's three world cast wrestlers and we don't really know what to do with them. But then again, neither do they. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and it's like, huh? I mean, I mean, Jim, Jim Steele's trying. He's the only one who's trying, mm. literally, in the match. The other five are just like... But, yeah, he, he kind of sees the match slipping around and the crowd out into it, so he tries to rile the crowd up and get them into it and act like a babyface, though I'm not sure he has a clue how to act like a babyface. He's never <laughs> a bit of baby face He's kind of babyface by default. So, yeah, it was problematic. Yes. <laughs> And, of course, in the classic style of this particular era of Japanese wrestling, Jushin Thunder, Thunder Liger defeated Masanubi Fuchi, the all-star ace of New Japan and All Japan, going head-to-head for 18 minutes and four seconds of what I'm sure was an absolute map classic, which isn't on the tape.
1: Yeah, it's weird because yeah, this YouTube version we watch, it's all the kind of nostalgia matches for the most part. And then... <laughs> I don't know if it's like a broadcast thing because it's the own the main things yep. missing are the New Japan All Japan matches. Yeah, um, the main
0: main events there with a new the IWGP Heavyweight Champion in it.
1: Yeah, missing. <laughs> it's, yeah, like, so it's basically the, there's this match and then there's the Muto Taioka match that's missing as well. And yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, by the way, looking at the card and this is an old Japan show and in those two matches new japan guys win them both which is and to, yeah um, it's a well, strange also, way to to book it right
0: <laughs> but i'd also point out two new japan guys who weren't long for the new japan universe as it were
1: true but i think it it kind of sums up from doing sort of the reading around because i don't want to jump ahead too much because i guess we're going to talk about the main event but i know like Sasaki and Kawada were having sort of a feud in the background, but all their best matches were happening in New Japan, not all Japan.
0: Yeah. yeah. And this is this is the thing, is like it was important for the growth of the company to have fine working partners and the politics of what happened in those matches would affect the company for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know that yet. And it just looks like New Japan guys are just coming in and trouncing the old Japan guys. Yeah, exactly. That's that's it, and you you only got two stars. All right, you've got Mike Barton and Steve Williams, that we'll talk about in a bit, but they're not stars. He, you know, Williams mm. was a star and was still handy, and yeah, Mike. He's not one for the
1: future, is he? <laughs> At this and Mike point.
0: Barton could be a star, but if Vince McMahon couldn't make him a star, are you going to be able to? Mm. So, it, or, well, I suppose it's the will of Vince McMahon. Did Vince want to make Mike Babic star? Probably not. But it's, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's probably it, a
0: wider conversation. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different conversation. But you know, there's like you've got essentially seven guys on your roster in the heavyweight division who are "quote unquote" any good, mm. and how you're deploying them on this card doesn't seem to fit the All Japan mold exactly, any yeah. or any good anything that All Japan <sighs> is. Um, there's not, I mean, so- not
1: long term thinking here is there that it, basically
0: no. no and the next match is absolutely the pinnacle of that <laughs> uh, Asushi Anita and Terry Funk reunited as a tag team for the first time in what 30 years against Abdul the Butcher and Giant Kamala in an absolute bloodbath that lasts 8 minutes and 26 seconds yeah. of entertaining racing <laughs> honestly they're bleeding before they get in the ring they yeah. may as well be. And Abby starts hitting people with stuff, and there's a fork flying around, and Kamala starts throttling people. He's dropped weight at this point, so he's actually mm-hmm. moving pretty well. And Terry bleeds a lot, and Anita yeah. seems to be, you know, fight the fact nobody's touched him. I don't know how that happened. Uh, they're screaming, <laughs> they're
1: pointing. It's, it's, that's who she needs. Terry Funk, what more do you need? Yeah, it, it couldn't be. So I... I watched the Noah show before this one um, when I watched them and it, it couldn't have been <laughs> it more <didn't> different <laughs> say again
0: I did it the other way around thinking I should probably eat my greens
1: before I have my pudding Yeah, yeah, I I was foolish and did it the other way around, which in hindsight, when, because this is the first match we we see on the YouTube video. And yeah, it couldn't be more different from what I just watched. You know, the Noah shows was obviously like strong style, King's Road, hard hitting, classic in ring action with some of the best performers in the business at that time, you know, many of them in their prime. And here, we get four old lads doing horrible things to each other when they probably should have probably should have been having a nice sit-down by this point in their lives, to be honest. Um, like you say, you know, Funk, Funk, God love him. Like, he must have been in his late 50s at this point, and he's bleeding extensively within seconds of the match. I think Abdullah, like, smashes a bottle over his head about five seconds into the match, which just shows... <laughs> they're just all nutters, aren't they? basically? Because, yeah. like, by the end, I think they're all bleeding. And as I said earlier, like, to, to give them credit, unlike, you know, what we've just spoken about with, like, Wyndham and Rotunda and Hennig, they didn't just come to collect the paycheck, which I'm sure must have been pretty substantial. Like, they came, they didn't come to phone it in. They, they did, the, they put the work in as best they could to give people now, their money's worth, which yeah. Exactly. Like I yeah. couldn't tell you many wrestling moves that actually happened, but they beat each other up. They bled a lot. You know, they used, you know, a lot of weapons. And, you know, we got kind of the nostalgia at the end, Funk winning with the, the spinning toe hold. Onita slaps it on as well. Funk gives him a nice big kiss. Two hardcore legends, like just having a great old time. So I can see how this would, yeah. Yeah. This this is a better, it's weird because these guys must be like some of the oldest guys on the card. But this is like the main enjoyable nostalgia match, if that makes sense. Like it's the I one think- that actually like, you're like, if they just slap that in the middle of the card and they didn't ha- it didn't have all these other weird matches around it, you'd be like, fair enough. Like, let's get the nostalgia pop with the legends halfway through the card. Yeah, it,
0: it was ideally placed in just what needed to happen at that time on the card. And the guys involved all get it.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: on the other hand, as far as the legacy of Shohei Giant Baba is concerned, this is about as close to sacrilege as you can
1: get. Yes, it doesn't... Like you, you <laughs> said with the statement at the start, it, with what Matoka Baba said, she's going to preserve his legacy and carry on this King's Road style and everything else. This could not be more far removed from that.
0: This That's is... Baba was well noted for hating hardcore wrestling, despite the fact mm. he had several hardcore wrestling matches himself, as we've <laughs> seen the video tape. Um he hated hardcore wrestling, he hated Anita because he set an up in opposition towards Japan Pro Wrestling, he hated Terry Funk for retiring and coming out of retirement for a different company. He liked Abdullah the butcher. Um mm. and probably like Kamala, to be fair, because Kamala was a good worker. Kamala never gets the credit for how good a worker he yeah.
1: is. I think we spoke about that on yeah, the last show actually. Yeah. He got he,
0: The thing about watching Kamala in all Japan is he's just a wrestler. Mm. When you watch Kamala in North America, he's a whole bunch of stuff and most of it's racist. Yes, and that's an
1: extremely it. problematic character, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah,
0: that's it. And like when you watch him wrestle in, in all Japan, he's just a guy who can go. And mm-hmm. Babel loved him. And he wrestles retro, retro wrestling matches, and it's not character led, and he can really have a go. And at this point, like we said, he dropped weight, he looked like he could go again, and, and had mm-hmm. a pretty good job for what he was trying to do. Yeah. And that's that's what more could you ask? But again, it is essentially ripping up the legacy of Babar and saying it on fire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it, I don't mean to be down on it because it's great, but it's not what was built, that was not what was on the marquee. <laughs> no,
2: the
0: Marquis says, says King's Road Wrestling presented by Shoei Joan and Baba and this ain't it.
1: Exactly. That's the thing. Like it's it is a great example of, of what it is. And like we say it if it was just this on the card, then yeah, that'd be that'd be great right in the middle. But it's it's indicative of what all Japan was at this point. Um yeah. which is yeah, nostalgia, and, uh, not sure of its identity, just kind of because they were like they were left in a horrible position. Ultimately, like twenty-four of their guys left, all bit of you know the majority of them top stars. Then I think twelve more guys left in the following days after that. So they, like you said, had about two top stars left. Yeah. Um So you know they they had to scramble to put on a card, but it was yeah, it was very much the opposite of what Giant Baba had set all Japan up to be.
0: And also, I don't think it's out of place on this card, because mm-hmm. it showcases the ground base that King's Road style was for that FNW style, and was mm-hmm. for the IW style, and was for the Big Japan Pro Wrestling style. King's Road is the core basis of Hardcore Pro Wrestling, whether Joint Baba liked it or not,
2: mm-hmm. because
0: of because of Nietzsche and Funk were the ones who really designed how Hardcore Wrestling should look like in Japan. And they deserve to be there because they drew a lot of money and they were incredibly over. And just because it wasn't to Baba's taste, it was still part of his legacy for good or ill. And I think it's the right place to have it and the right card, right card to have it on. I'm not sure Baba would have agreed, but no. <laughs> that's, um, and I was going to say, and I say it's on the marquee. It literally is on the marquee King's road, new century.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah. You know, that's the name of the show and it's not King's road style wrestling. Well, it is, but it's not, what we kind of expect. Um, what's much more like what you expect from this style of company is Mike Barton versus Steve Williams, 40 minutes mm-hmm. and 47 seconds. And you kind of are reading around at the time when in 2000, like there was a large case that Dr. Death had lost it. He wasn't fit anymore. He was lethargic. He's spaffed around in North America. He's been broken by Vince McMahon and WCW. Mm-hmm. He guy who's supposed to be and then you watch this match and he manhandles Mike Barton so those Mm. of you who don't know Mike Barton was Bart Gunn the guy who knocked out Steve Williams in the brawl for all which caused all the okay (laughs) and the the sub disintegration of Steve Williams reputation and career and all Japan have this super match this rematch that never happened in WWE and the Japanese fans know about it and Mm -hmm. they got behind it and Mike Barton is along for the ride uh, right, I'm sure he was very happy to take because Steve Williams makes him look like a million dollars. And this match was, it wasn't exceptional but it was exceptionally good.
1: Yeah, no it was yeah. this is again like one of the few examples of like an actual decent match on the card. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, it is funny that that's, you know, all that background to it and you know, it—it it is like the the other kind of money match, if you like, yeah. outside of the new Japan, old Japan stuff, which obviously is is a draw because of everything else around it. This is bringing in like storylines from, you know, the WWF at the time. So yeah, it's it's a really interesting match to have on the card. And yeah, like you say, Steve Williams makes him look great. It's it's just again, it's it's indicative of all japan you know using like an outside storyline and bringing it into their company yeah. you know rather than it being something that was housed within their company which of course you could we can talk about with noah as well because they were also drawing on stuff from you know history of these guys in old japan and then bringing yeah. that to a new company but this is you know slightly different i would say
2: yeah but it, it also
0: I think yeah, you're right with that comparison, but it also shows that Noah became becomes the Baba legacy much more mm. closely than all Japan does.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: You know, all, uh, As much as all Japan was, oh, we're going to do it just the way Baba wanted it to, they couldn't. Mm. With the best in the world, with a completely new roster, you can't. It can't be done. And it was amazing to yeah. the company together long enough to be able to get a working roster to create sustainability and that 20 years later... They're still a working
2: company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, even the fact that a card, like, you know, we're, we're obviously, like, poo-pooing it somewhat in the sense of it wasn't what, you know, Giant Barber and All Japan represented. And it did does feel very thrown together in certain ways with big names to pull in the crowd and everything else. But the fact that they were able to get a card together is impressive when you consider how many guys they'd actually lost so, you know, soon before this. Yeah. And it's, it's just,
0: it's incredible. I mean, none of it's bad wrestling, Mm. except for, you know, there's obviously there's there's some bad wrestling, but there's none of it is bad wrestling, but it's not, we can't stress this enough. It's not what it says on the tin, Mm. (laughs) you know, um, and we move on to the next match. Uh, which is Keiji Muto, Muto versus Tio uh almost a as he was known at the time.
2: Mm.
0: 18 minutes and 43 seconds, which again, isn't on the disc. But Muto is, becomes the player in All Japan. He starts climbing the ladder to contendership for mm. the Triple Crown. And that path is strewn with guys in the main event, who one of whom is actually an All Japan original of the Four Pillars. Another is an All Japan religion from a previous era, and they're all in the main event of this card. So we should talk about that.
2: Yes, um,
1: but it's, it's not... interesting because Muto goes on to be the booker of All Japan, what, about a year and a half after this?
0: Yeah, um, and he spends a lot of time in All Japan alongside his New Japan career, but essentially he splits time between the two companies and takes all extended tours with All Japan mm. over this period of time. And... Mm. It's kind of it's kind of like having an affair in plain sight. To be honest with you, <laughs> you know, he uh, like spends all this time in All Japan pro wrestling and New Japan. Like, oh yeah, he's just spending time there. That's fine. It helps further our relationship. And then all of a sudden, he's the boss of the company. Mm. He's <laughs> just announced one day as the boss of the company. Yeah, but Mitoka, Who... still in charge at this point. Carry on,
1: sorry. it's just yeah, it's just interesting, like how you know, the New Japan, Old Japan relationship comes about. And yeah, all this kind of underlying stuff, like we say, you know, New Japan guys coming in and winning, you know, the two inter-promotional kind of singles matches on this card, on an Old Japan card. But then, you know, in the background, you've got, yeah, Keiji Muto kind of working his way up to be the booker of All Japan. It's, yeah, it, it's such a, it's an interesting few years for All Japan and New Japan, how these things kind of slot into place.
0: Yeah, it's pretty intense. And like the, the, this main event is pretty intense as well. Mm. The main event pits Kensuke Sasaki and Tashiyaka Kawada against Jenshiro Tenru and Hirohase. And if you look at those four guys just from a political point of view, Sasaki is the IWGP heavyweight champion, the antithesis of everything that All Japan Pro Wrestling stands for. Kawada is the last man standing of the four pillars in all Japan mm-hmm. Hiroshi Hase had moved to all Japan from New Japan in the late 90s and knew he was never going to make it to the top because he wasn't a New Japan guy. He would main event from time to time, and this is a good example of him main eventing, but he wasn't there to main event. And Junichiro Tenru, headlining the Tokyo Dome for all Japan, was about as closest thing to... I don't know. I don't know if Baba would... I think Baba would rather set fire to his own underwear whilst he was wearing it than do this. So,
2: Because
0: yeah. Teneru was the leader of the first exodus. He was the first person to prove he didn't need Baba to survive as a wrestler or a promoter. He could do it his own way. And he did it twice with two different companies. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the ultimate sin in Baba's universe. You do not set up an well, opposition he was, for a wrestler. He
1: was told Baba basically said he will never step foot in an old japan ring ever yeah. again, right? So when that announcement was made after the Noah exodus it was it was huge, like that Tenru would be you know coming back to old Japan,
0: yeah, I mean uh Baba hated Anita mm. because it was garbage wrestling and because he was an old japan guy who turned his back on the company, but he absolutely despised Tenru. Mm. <laughs> There is here is the man I made, and he's turned his back on me. You know, yeah. this, this is, and it, but then again, Matoko Baba was backed into a corner. What could she do? What's the only thing that would get the old Japan fans back on her side? Because she wasn't particularly popular either. Let's not no. forget that. And the only thing she could think of, and was absolutely the right business move, was to hire Jinichiro Tenru And Tenryu and Kawada, in the same ring together for the first time since Tenaru left and Kawada didn't go with him and quit Revolution to stay in all Japan. That's a sad to say. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's they were they were stable mates at one point. They had a tag team together at one point And and Tenaru left and Kawada stayed behind, and it was the right move. Absolutely the right <laughs>
2: move. Yeah, it really was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You whether know, Kawada staying the second time was the right move is maybe a, another discussion but definitely the first time
0: I don't know I mean me and Christy did the in the beginning show this week and we looked at Minoru Suzuki versus toshiaki Kawada from 2006 mm. and he still looks pretty sharp and he's a good wrestler and he's, and he's telling stories and getting other people over if, mm. Kawada, had not, if the Kawada had not gone to nowhere. Uh, if Kawada had gone to nowhere, I think he'd have got lost in the shuffle. Masaru, Potentially.
1: I think Masara and Kawada had already got played out. They'd wrestled each other how many times? Well, also I think a big, big part of why Kawada didn't go, and I know he sort of spoke about loyalty to Barber, but him and Mazawa didn't get on behind no. the scenes. And I think that was the real reason he didn't go.
0: Yeah. I think mean, it was a possibility there is a strong possibility of that. And it it made more sense for from a like a business point of view, I think it did because looking mm. at this match, Kawada looks refreshed, he doesn't look haggard, he doesn't look like this, he looks like he's enjoying his wrestling again.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, like we say, Kawada and Sasaki, what a few months before this had that absolute classic on the New Japan show. I think they had another banger on the January 4th New mm. Japan show as well, just before this. So, yeah, Kwa-
0: I think. Kawada got to the semi final of the G one that year as well, too, I
1: think. Yeah, that's that sounds right. It's yeah, so I think in that sense, you know, Kawada was, was having a good time of it.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, as as well, it, like Hase and Sasaki had the preeminent tag team in Japan in the early nineteen nineties. The matches with the Steiners were legendary. So there's another dream match you'd been denied because they never wrestled each other in singles in New Japan. So here's another thing that, oh, we can build. But it's, again, it's not an all Japan story.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: It's, it's borrowed glory, if you will, which is strange for a company that has been cutting edge for so long. And literally, I, I'm, I hate to say the word desperate, but obviously they were because they yeah. had something to make themselves look viable. Um and this was pretty good for what it was but it's not it's not forward thinking it's a sh- temporary fix and it's a very good temporary fix but it's not the uh thing you're kind of looking to see for a company that's going to grasp the gauntlet
1: of the legacy that they have yeah I mean because the main event like it's, it's decent I, I don't think it's great, I have to say. I think it's very much off the name value of these four yeah. guys and it being the dream match and everything else. And the fact that, yeah, you're seeing, you know, Kawada and Sasaki have these bangers in New Japan around this time. This is probably a little bit disappointing as a main event, given the legacy of all these guys. Um, which also is kind of a fitting way for this show to end. I suppose that it's <laughs> kind of like slightly disappointing from what you'd maybe expect with kind of the big name value when everything else to an extent on the card has been built around nostalgia and they've, it's not nostalgia, but they're kind of relying on the name value for the main event more than perhaps their, their work rate being on display, if that makes sense. Um, And yeah, the fact that Kawada and Sasaki were literally having the better matches for another company, Again, kind of sums up the whole situation yeah. that all Japan found themselves in. And as I say, the longer term irony of it is that when Sasaki would go freelance a few years later, he ends up going to Noah and having that classic with Kobashi. So there's, you know, yeah. there's all this kind of long term stuff as well around that of how this stuff would break down.
0: Tenru goes on to have one of the best Triple Crown reigns anyone has mm. in the next 12 months. Hase goes back to being, expend- to be blunt, expendable mid-card plotter for all for Japan. He's a guy there to get other people over, and I don't think he's got any problem with that. That's what mm-hmm. he is. And Kawada is kind of the ace of the company still, but he's not, yeah. he's not, he's not long for being the top guy. you know. As, and I don't think he has an issue with that. I think he wants to kind of like, you know, I've had all these epic matches, my career's there, and I have to keep the company going. But I have legacy of my friend and my mentor. But he's there to guide them to where they need to go next. And he is quite happy to try and help them figure that out. But I don't think he's interested in being the guy. Mm. If you see what I mean. He's clearly loving wrestling at this point in his career. And I think that's probably, you know, all this pressure he's been under for the last 12 months. At least I can go off fun in a wrestling ring.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. It's it's you need those guys. The problem was around this time. It's how do you use that? How do you create new stars when there's no kind of <laughs> no full-time... stars to there to create? Exactly. There's no young guys there to actually help create at this point, which was the big issue. Because yeah, Kawada would have been perfect at that time to be now, the guy who did that. And you
0: look around when we go to the Noah show. You look at the people who are stood around ringside the young boys who were who were attending the matches
1: yeah it's
0: kenta and mishinori and marifuji and all of those mm. guys the legends that now either run the company or work in the higher echelon of new japan or you know are living legends yes yeah. 20 years later at the end of their careers or as their careers have wound up they have an incredible legacy but we don't talk about the rookies in the old Japan company in the same way because they didn't do the things that they have done. the platform wasn't there for them to to get that done. Except yeah well that's say it's <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. but that's why when we spoke on the last show about the split, I think we we mentioned this of like obviously the fact they'd lost you know Mizawa, kobashi, teo, Akiyama was massive, but then all the young guys going as well. Is yeah. is is even worse in a way because, like you say, they then become the guys who are going to shape a lot of Japanese wrestling for the next couple of decades, and they've just they've just gone from all Japan, so they yeah. can't, they're not part of that company anymore. So Noah has everything; they've got the established stars, and they've got the future.
0: Yeah, that's it, and it's like it's really hard to replicate that because then people that want to go to your dojo because you haven't got the trainers in place and the legacy in place to be able to create the stars. So you don't get the first pick of the talent. Mm. So you don't do get the next ladder. You know, it's like when the Joshi company split up, split up in the nineties. Yeah. You could go work for JWP that had like one of the beauty girls as their head trainer, you know, Jackie Sato, like former WWE women's champion, living legend. Or you could go to Gaia, which was run by the Gaia of the Crush Girls. You were, you know, the company you were working for was top tier all the way. And All Japan doesn't look as top tier as it did. Mm. But let's move on to Noah properly. And we get to the Noah show that we'll put in this list of, of, of matches. And the Noah show, the Noah show itself is, is more of a, I guess it probably would have been a VHS release or a, or a TV special. And it looks at mm. the first few months of Noah and the big main event feud, which was Kenta Kabashi versus Yonakiyama oh, th- it's it's quite good, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> the the friends who kick off the opening shows at uh, Noah tagging together against Misawa and Teyu and in the essentially the biggest four names in the company on the second night of the company's existence and Yonakiyama turns heel on so on on Kibashi and that's it that's the story
1: yeah Uh, and that plays out yeah for five months basically leading up to um great voyage in december which is what this ends with um yeah of yeah pulling in all these other guys and it's it's the focus in the main event basically for the first five months um and yeah like there's stuff like the teams seemingly splitting up and aligning themselves with different parties only for them to turn on Kobashi as well. Like basically this, this very much set out the stall of what Noah was going to, was going to be built around because point one, Kenta Kobashi is one of the best baby faces ever. And my God, didn't Noah know it at the time (laughs) because they built all these months of shows around him essentially just getting screwed over (laughs) again and again like people turning on him left right and center and you know Akiyama was obviously he was proven but he'd not won the title in all Japan at that time you know he he was kind of sort of marked out as a great tag team wrestler who could also do singles he was like the unofficial fifth pillar but not quite on the level of the other four is that fair?
0: I think that's reasonable, yeah. I mean, he's widely considered to be the fifth pillar of All Japan Pro Wrestling, but he wasn't... All the others held the triple crown, and Akiyama hmm. never had a chance. All yeah. the others had strong singles runs in the build-up, and Akiyama was... He was getting there, but he was never the chosen one like the other four were. Yeah. And it, it's... Um... Yeah, it's interesting to see how... Akiyama evolves through this process because he doesn't really change his style much. He doesn't really Mm. change his facial expressions. He just gets angry. Yes. Sometimes. That's it. That's all it is. He's sick of being held back and he wants new friends who will help him get all the way to the top of the company. And those friends are, of course, um, uh, Takoki Tako Amori and um, the. Yoshiro Takeyama of Team No Fear who are the hottest tag team in NOAH uh, and were a hot tag team in all Japan, we talked about that on the uh, Genishiro Tenaru memorial show because they wrestled, they took the tag team titles that night, the world tag team titles in all Japan it was Mm -hmm. the last time they would have them and Takeyama Takeyama and uh, um, Amori are excellent especially Amori and is yeah. now an outstanding character wrestler, he's given the job of uh, being displeased with Takayama because his best friend is now tagging with uh, one of their sworn enemies. So he kind of has a semi-fallout and then goes and joins Kobashi and turns on Kobashi in the middle of a match. Even yeah. though Kobashi doesn't, clearly doesn't trust him and he's right not to.
1: Yeah. Amori. he's Amori's smart a... that Kabashi
0: yeah Amori's one of the best like sleazy heels you'll ever come across <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah he really is
0: he's got one of those faces that is just untrustworthy <laughs> it's like if he was a normal sized bloke he'd be a used car salesman <laughs> he you know?
1: does have that look actually just, it just looks
0: shifty and look, and, it, and it, but it sells so well especially with the bleach blonde mullet which is just outstanding work yeah. uh, so you know Omori is doing his best to get o Akiyama over as one of his henchmen, as is Takeyama, because Takiyama is the scariest bloke in pro wrestling aside from Noro Suzuki, who happens to be his best mate. <laughs> of course. i <laughs> be yeah, like,
1: bumping into those two in a dark alley.
0: Yeah, cause Takeyama was the guy who's had was part of what's arguably been called the greatest martial art, mixed martial arts match of all time in Pride. Mm. Uh where he basically got beat up for 15 minutes and held in submission holes and just smiled all the way through.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so, you know, he's a bit hard. Um, and nice to see actually starting to get to being able to walk at the moment. He had a spinal cord injury in DDT a few years ago, mm-hmm. and his, his, um, his health is a lot better than it used to be. Uh, but getting back to this particular point in time, they were the perfect henchmen for Akiyama. They were the ones that were going to show him the way of being
1: evil if you
2: will
1: (laughs) and this Um, brings in like uh kanemaru gets brought in as well very young at the time and then uh takeshi Rikio on the side of kobashi so again they're setting out their stall of they're gonna incorporate the much younger guys into these bigger feuds and kind of bring them along with it yeah and it's
0: also noticeable in the booking as well Akira Teyu is the president of the company. So while Misawa is looking after the creative side, Teu is looking after the business side and clearly mm. downgrading himself in, in the booking stakes. He's he's the not the faded star, though he looks incredibly old. He is mm. the, this sounds daft, but TA when you look at pictures of Kabashi Teyu and Misawa and Kawada in nineteen ninety two, Teyu looks the youngest of all of them. Yeah. Ten, ten years later, he looks older than all of them. Mm. And I don't
1: understand how that happened. <laughs> it, is, it is wild, given, you know, the style of the other three <laughs> and how hard it must have been on their bodies. Or what we know it was on their bodies, particularly Mizawa and Kabashi. Yeah, Teo is
0: known for being relatively gentle compared to mm. the other three. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, but
1: it's, uh, right. G- gentle is a, yeah.
0: Comparatively...
1: Exactly, yeah, compared to three of the hardest-hitting guys ever. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was just me and Ben Spinn we were discussing last week, the uh, comparatively conservative CMLL, as we watched a main event of uh, Vampiro getting the shit kicked out of his <laughs> 20 minutes, and then having his shot. And I was like, CMLL's you know, a conservative promotion. Ben was like, yeah, right, of course it is. Um, <laughs> all things relative. Uh, but in this case, yeah, um, you know, this is there's there's movement within NOAH that the senior guys know their place a lot better than they did in all Japan and could get yeah. away you know I couldn't see Teyu downgrading himself whilst he was still in all Japan because they needed the help mm. as much as they could they needed someone else to bounce off of Kawada and, and Misawa so they needed Teyu. but in yeah. NOAH he's quite happy to take the back step and let the young guys come up he's still the tough Guy, you've got to get around to get to the main event, but he's a proper mid card gatekeeper. He isn't just um, the faded X star. Do you see what I mean?
1: Yeah, and that's like to jump back slightly with this first match on the show, which was was this their, was their first show. I think the main event of their first show of them. So it was their second show. Second show, but yeah, yeah, it's you know they're set in their. They've they've gone. To you know these these four guys basically the the three of the four pillars we have gone over and Akiyama is the fifth pillar this is going to be their main event which is you know they're they're using the name value and the notoriety and everything else but then they're setting out their stall and kind of saying you know Akiyama this is the guy like this guy you know is not going to be the nearly man anymore which like you say feeds into the character and him turning heel and everything else but He, what, chokes out Mizawa in two minutes to get the first fall and then Mm. beats Teo at the end for the second fall. So Kobashi and Akiyama go 2-0 in Mm. a two out of three falls match, which again, Mizawa was the booker. He could have easily booked himself to get one of those falls and keep himself looking, you know, relatively strong. But it shows what the direction was going to be and that Akiyama and Kobashi were going to be this massive part of the main event scene, not just for the next few months, but just going forward generally. And they basically make Akiyama, (laughs) they make it. it sounds strange to say they make him in a night because he was already so established, but they bump him up a level just from that main event. And then him obviously turning on Kabashi at the end, which popped me hard, (laughs) went the way he did it. Just the speed at which he does it of like, they're shaking hands and then suddenly Kabashi's getting hit with an exploder, like in an instant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just perfect. It's perfect
1: Mm. storytelling, but you've got to have a booking team that's willing to take chances. Yeah. And and like I say, it's, it's them laying out their stall immediately of what they, what Mizawa didn't like about where all Japan was, what he said Noah would be. And he shows it straight away that this is what the promotion is going to be
0: yeah this is it. We're going to let the young guys have their room to grow. We're going to keep some of the traditional stuff. We'll do it within the boundaries of what we what we know, but we're not just going to sit around and me wrestle Kawada every week for the next three years. yeah, essentially what had happened because the also the trouble is with the Kings road style is it's zero sum booking If yeah. you enough wrestle enough guys enough times, you can tell what will happen in the match because there's rules. And There's nothing wrong with that. It's what made it popular in the first place. It was predictable. Predictable isn't bad. You can sell predictable. <clears throat> that's fine. He's what mm. you can it's expectations on a regular basis, and it's a great storytelling platform. However, if you have to have a certain number of moves in a certain way to be able to beat a certain guy, that's predictable. He's mm. too predictable. Mm. So you knew what was going to happen, and business was starting to fade for Old Japan because. Kawada wrestled Misawa every three weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as great as those two are, there are other people in the company that the fans wanted to see be successful. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get over because Kawada and Misawa had reached such a pinnacle of the Kings Road style and booking style. The story had been told so many times that they were
1: that good that they couldn't lose to anyone else. Yeah. Otherwise, they could go back to Kawada versus Misawa. <laughs> so then, which is why the matches then got so <laughs> kind of ludicrously hard-hitting and dangerous, because they had to constantly one-up to for it to be believable that they could beat each other. Yeah,
0: which meant that... And there's no out then. You can't do the things like have somebody win in three minutes. Yeah. Or you can't which, have a, which
1: was something that New Japan did from time to time to keep people guessing, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's also it's much more realistic in sports. Yeah like, you sometimes have a chess match that lasts five moves, Mm. you know, because you just do, because somebody slips or forgets or doesn't see a move, and that's it. You sometimes have a boxing match that ends in 30 seconds because somebody catches a right-hander just right.
1: Yeah, we see it in MMA all the time, like, matches, you know, fights that people think are going to be epic can end in less than a minute if someone catches someone right.
0: Yeah, that's it. I was talking the other day about some great knockouts. My bittersweet because it's all my all time favorite knockout was from as a kid I was watching errol bomber grading from sheffield in his last world title fight everyone knew it was his last chance He'd had world title fighters and bottled it and bottled it and bottled it mm. and here he is he's in spain it's for the uh, ibf world championship and middleweight championship and he owns the guy for 10 rounds mm. 10 rounds is like on top of him never takes a back step always on top of him doesn't look like he's breathing hard after 10 rounds one right hand, bang—he's on the canvas, mm. and that's it. You know, the, the, Barbara Graham was going to win that fight, win the world championship. He truly deserved the amount of time he put into boxing, but it's real, and that's what happens. Yeah. You can't do that with Kings Road booking because it just doesn't work. The maths isn't there. Yeah. So when Noah kind of revived the book of what Kings Road should be, all of a sudden we have interest in
1: Yeah, and it's like with. Akiyama like they basically set it out he gets wins over all three of the four pillars who'd gone over to Noah in you know obviously over Mazawa and Teo in the tag match and then he faces Kobashi at the next show and beats him which is you know you're straight away setting him up to be one of your top guys just from two matches which would that have happened in all Japan probably not. Because, like you say, the, the booking doesn't fit itself to that, to where he can, you know, beat these top guys in that way.
2: Yeah.
0: And then the story of the video is all the matches that build up along that particular route and the people it draws in. Mm. And it's, it's an incredibly well-told story. We can't really go into match details because there's just too many matches. But mm. it, there was a tag, there was literally a tag match every week involving Akiyama and somebody either no fit or no fear or somebody else going up against uh, Kabashi and whoever was in his team that day. Yeah, and
1: <laughs> whoever was trying to con him that week, basically.
0: <laughs> eventually, it turns to the point where Orange Crush, Kenta Kabashi doesn't wear orange anymore he wears black and purple and he comes oh. to the ring in a ring gown with his head covered and he's wrestling Amori and uh Akiyama and he destroys them by himself in literally less than 10 minutes
1: the pop by the way when he comes out in the new gear
2: is yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah just just shows <laughs> like even that like cuz watching the first the first match and the reactions for Kobashi and Mazawa, it's like the level of star these guys were is just nuts. And yeah, just to, we kind of saw it with, you know, Okada when he like changed his gear and then reverted back. That's kind of the equivalent, you know, there's so much built around these guys. They're such big stars that what they wear even is such like a part of their character and who they are. So to change it is like a massive deal.
0: Well, orange was the colour of the guy that got over in all Japan pro wrestling by Mm -hmm. losing, And this was not a time to be a loser. It wasn't the time to be the lovable loser who always tries very hard. It was a time to be an angry young man. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: And that's like the thing with, like I said, with them drawing on this history in all Japan, but kind of flipping it and trying to retell it. So, you know, Akiyama basically turns heel because he was the nearly man and he's sick of it. You know, he's going to make it, he's going to be better in this new company. Kobashi was, yeah, the guy in old Japan, his story was he kept losing, kept losing and worked his way up. And now someone's trying to do that to him again, basically. And it's like, no, I'm Kenta Kobashi. You can't keep trying to like hold (laughs) me down. Um, So yeah, it's interesting how they could take those stories and they had that history that they could play off of but you know completely flip it and bring in things beyond the King's Road King's Road style and actually evolve it in terms of storytelling yeah and
0: there, there's some bizarre stuff on this as well because halfway through this there is a match from one of Noah's big shows in fact it's mm-hmm. the big show where, where toward the end of the tape where obviously Akiyama and uh, Kobashi have the blow off at Great Voyage mm-hmm. uh, but Takao, uh, sorry, Takao Amori wrestles Shinya Hashimoto, mm. um, which seems a bit odd, and I shall explain. Uh, Shinya Hashimoto wanted Yunakiyama and Mitsuru Masawa to wrestle on the first Zero-One show, because Zero-One was going to be about inter-promotional wrestling, because
2: they didn't have many
0: wrestlers. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because Hashimoto had... Well, some say left, some say he was fired. You say tomato, I say tomato. New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2000. <laughs> Let's call what? the whole thing off. Yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> For wanting to run more inter-promotional style wrestling with New Japan Pro Wrestling, because he thought that was the future of wrestling, which clearly it was. And he was right. However... Um, it was decided it'd be best if he did that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a result of that, he lost a loser league town match to, uh, who was it? Forgot, yeah. Neo Ogawa uh, in mid 2000 in mid-2000, and sell Wrestle One not long after. sorry, Pro Wrestling won not long afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the first things. And in return, Hashimoto went and did some big cards for Noah. And he gets booked into this match with Amori. Now, Hashimoto's booked to win, and that's fine. Uh, the only trouble is if you watch that match, and most of it's on there because it's only six minutes long, um, mm-hmm. you notice that Hashimoto, already known for not being genteel with his offense, he <laughs> yeah. tries to demolish Amori within the first 36 seconds. Um, And in response, Amori, who is an old Japan, you know, veteran, King's Road boy, yeah, he can go a bit, kicks back as hard as he possibly can, to which point Hashimoto stands there like the Rock of Gibraltar and sells nothing at all. Mm. Um, And Amori then takes more punishment. And after about five minutes, Amori thinks he's had about enough of this and calls for the end of the match because he knows that Ashimoto is winning. It's not really going to achieve anything. He's just going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, And so uh, Ashimoto delivers the Northern Lights DDT, which is his legendary finisher, pins Amori, and that's what you think nothing else of it. Except for the fact Mitsahara Misawa hated Amori after that match.
1: Wow, okay. No, I, di- I didn't know that.
0: Yes, he gave... Um, he thought that he'd given in and that he should have been in a bad performance against Hashimoto and he couldn't be trusted with the main event anymore.
1: Wow. Because, yeah, he was such, as we've spoken about, such a big part of, I think, the success of those first few months with yeah. the Kobashi Akiyama main event feud, like Amori and takiyama's part in that, you know, that kind of it's the twists and turns and, you know, Amori turning on Kobashi, which, like you say, Kobashi in the storyline probably expected, but it worked really well. Kobashi had, again, there's highlights of it on this on this video of Amori and Kobashi, the match they had, which was really yeah. good. Again, it's basically Amori getting the shit kicked out of by <laughs> like Kobashi. You know, he blades and everything, I think. You know, the bleach blonde hair and the blood, it's a great visual. But... Yeah, that that's really fascinating because he was such a big part, I think, of making these first few months successful and making that storyline work. And I guess also the importance of extending the story so they can get it to December to have the blow-off match with Kobashi and Akiyama. You've got to have delays to get to that point.
0: Yeah, that's it. And the actual relationship between Misawa and Amori got that bad that Masawa sent him on learning excursion uh, for two years to get him out of sight. Wow! Um, I'm just trying to remember what's the name of Harley Race's company that he had in Saint Louis. Ooh! Uh, um, I know the one you mean. <laughs> just looking up. Sorry, guys. I'm just gonna look this up because uh, uh, what was it? <laughs> Harley Races. World League Wrestling, yeah. Um, That's they the sent one. <laughs> him, they sent him to World League Wrestling. Harley loved him, made
1: him heavyweight champion. He of had, course Harley loved him. <laughs> of course he did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, he had a bit of a stint in Impact Wrestling. I couldn't think of anyone who was worse placed for Impact Wrestling in Amori, but there you go. And yeah. had a bit of a stint in Ring of Honor as well. And when he got back to Harley and became champion in World League Wrestling... Noah denied he worked for him, any, for him anymore and told him he wasn't welcome when he came back. And we didn't send you on an excursion. What are you talking about? Wow. Okay. <laughs> they oh, li-
1: wrestling politics, eh?
0: They literally gaslit him into believing that he, or tried to, into believing that he didn't actually work for them ever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just, just so unbelievable.
1: It was his, like, absolute, I'm like reading it, I'm going, what? <laughs> Like, but
2: yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's, um, it's
1: crazy. But yeah, because genuinely, like, I'm sure people will go and watch the video and stuff. Like, he is such a big part of this feud being successful, and you know, this is the the formative months of this new company. This is basically the first five months, and he's a massive part of this main event storyline. So yeah. for it to go sour because he didn't want Hashimoto to kick the shit out of him seems crazy to me
2: yeah
0: i think yeah and honestly i think any wrestler of any standard if they'd faced ashimoto on that day who was well known for for going into business for himself yeah and was well known to be
1: untrustworthy when it came to selling i don't think they would have they would have done exactly the same thing yeah because it's it's interesting because i didn't know the background but when he kicks him in the first minute i was like that's that's too much like he you know even when we're watching guys like kobashi it's like he kicks him so hard when he's on the ground like it's it's ridiculous yeah
0: and omori didn't wrestle for noah again for 10 years he went when he came back to japan he wrestled for uh zero one mm-hmm. um, and he wrestled for all japan um, but he never wrestled ironic the, that
1: he wrestled for zero no, one also, really.
0: not, not pro wrestling not not pro not zero one press, wrestling one sorry <laughs> I
1: was gonna say if he popped yeah. up in zero one after all this oh,
0: yeah yeah he wrestled um i'm trying he he basically like got back in on the strong style side from old Japan and when um when muto formed wrestle one out of his run in all Japan in the third schism, um, he went with Muto and wrestled mm-hmm. went to wrestle one, and yeah, he he was uh, he and funnily enough had a tag a reformed the tag team with Yunakayama called Wild Burning, yeah, uh, and did re, him and Takayama did reform No Fear at Kenta Kabashi's retirement show, on <laughs> and that was the next time he would wrestle for Noah and the last time he would wrestle for Noah. Wow. Yeah, um, so it's a bit of a sad story in one sense that there was very you know, sad, yeah. You know, and he's he, he's still a good wrestler still now. Yeah. You know, twenty years later, he's still fairly solid, and and he's still got that sleazeball face, and he's the perfect people. Yeah. you know. But it it just just kind of like seems like a missed opportunity to me. But then yeah, we big get to
1: time. yeah, big time. We get
0: we do get to the payoff of Kobashi versus Akiyama, and even though Kobashi wins. Akiyama is a much better off wrestler than he was six months before, isn't
1: he? 100%. Just before that, do we want to talk about Vader and Mazawa quickly? I was, which... I was going
0: to deal with that separately so we could tell this story, finish this okay. story first. Cool. Because um, so, I, I think that kind of like frames where the main event's
1: going. Yes. So, yeah, Kabashi Akiyama, yeah. A gr- just the perfect blow-off match, really, isn't it? Like, the culmination yeah. of this first half year of booking they've put in in the main event scene, like really well thought out. As we've said, it's it's taken all these twists and turns to get them to this point, built around two of the best wrestlers in the world at this time. Well, ever, let's be honest, (laughs) two of the best wrestlers ever to do it. Um, And I mean, first of all, not even the best match they would have. Which says, which says a lot about how ridiculous these two would have. That's, you know, in a few years, which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah, real, obviously real brutality, but real drama, which is like earned from all the hard work they've put in over the previous months to build this beyond the match they had at that second or third Noah show. Um, right at the start this was about much more than that now that they built over a few these few months to where when they're going for you know big moves like Akiyama going for the exploder off the ramp it it means something it's not just a cool spot it's genuinely dramatic when Kobashi you know is making his comeback and drops him on his head on the ramp and stuff it's like Well, Akiyama kind of deserves that for the hell he's put Kobashi through (laughs) for the past few months. Um, And like I say, it's again, it's a case of Noah being able to build on the existing storylines from all Japan, but then add these extra layers on top of it. Um, And then Kobashi wins with the Burning Hammer, which further to what we were talking about before with how... The matches had to get more and more ridiculous, and the finishes had to get more and more ridiculous. He basically invented that as a way to destroy Mizawa because he could never beat him in all Japan. So he came up with the most brutal, ridiculous finish wrestling had (laughs) seen up to that point. Um, I think he only used it about seven times in his entire career, didn't he? And this must have been only like the third time he'd ever used it, and. Obviously, it made sense that this was the feud and it was, you know, a bitter rivalry. Not, not I was going to say blood feud, but obviously there's no blood in it. But it's that level of, like, hatred that it makes sense that he would crack this out to beat Akiyama at the end in the most brutal fashion that he could possibly think of.
0: Yeah, it, it was just brilliant. But again, it highlights the difference we were talking about between... All Japan that was struggling to find its place in the world, and this is
1: such a an assured told story. This just mm. fits exactly the way it's supposed to. Exactly. Like the old Japan show were saying they're having to bring in outside guys, draw and all this, you know, history outside of the promotion and stuff like that. And there's a lot of nostalgia and things like that. And this is like a main event built over months and months with you know, yes, two established guys, but I think put in a even better position than they were, because obviously we spoke about you know, Akiyama was the nearly man, he's now gonna be pivotal, and Kobashi as well, obviously was hugely successful in all Japan, but he was essentially the second fiddle to Mizawa, and they'd set this out as this was not gonna necessarily be the case. And kind of builds, you know, they, as far as I know, then kept Mizawa and Kobashi apart in singles until the famous match in 2003, which again is smart booking because that is the money match that they can build to.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's it's just great. Yeah, and it
1: couldn't be more different <laughs> to all no, Japan basically at the time. Just,
0: just great. And then you move over to the other side of the main event, if you will. Matsuhara mm. Misawa has a bit of a big problem on his hands.
1: <laughs> <laughs> driving Quite a, a big problem.
0: Drives, as uh, as uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated once put it, he was driving a big van. <laughs> 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 I like
2: that.
0: Yes. Um, oh, one of Bill apts better ones. Um, yeah. But Leon White. Vader um, turns up (laughs) (laughs) ceremoniously uh, after Two Cold Scorpio suggested that he was free and uh, might be handy to have kicking around and Mm. walk straight into a main event feud with Masahiro Masawa. Vader, I'm trying to think of the timeline because Vader did, he was obviously out of Japan for a while because of his WWF commitments. And then when he got out of his WWF commitments, it was about 98 Mm. I think he had some time bouncing back and forth and then eventually settled on a run in Noah. I think well,
1: we, we was covered it? on the... Yeah, the, the last show we covered, the Giant Baba, the first memorial show yeah. and all the context around it, Mazao and Vader wrestled there, didn't they? Yeah, in they the did, main yeah. Event. But so I think that, yeah. that might have been the first time Vader had been back in Japan, potentially, or certainly in yes. kind of one of the big promotions.
0: Yeah, he wasn't doing. I don't think he was full time with All Japan. I think mean, he was back in and out of All Japan. Though he was Triple Crown champion, then mm. he went to Sauer um, and walked straight back into a feud with Sauer. Yeah,
1: which again is them being able to draw on stuff that had just happened in All Japan, but then add these extra layers and and things like that. And obviously, you know, this is a company that's just starting out. Uh, they've obviously got lots of you know great guys they've got three of the four pillars they've got akiyama they've got all these young exciting talents but part of it is you know a mizawa vader feud draws money you know it's it's going to generate interest at the end of the day around this new promotion
0: yeah i mean vader had wrestled had been the top guy in new japan uwfi all japan so it's an obvious thing to do he knows how to be a main event star quick and he knows how to build a feud and make you like a million dollars. Yeah,
1: because they so. can kind of do that while Kobashi and Akiyama are sort of building their thing of like they're going to be the two big stars to take them into the future. But while they're setting that up, here's this here's the name value feud, if you like.
0: Yeah. Interesting, because he takes this picture taken at ringside with the, the Noah logo on the ring apron. Mm. And it reminded me of the, the, the second, that's the very first Noah logo. The third Noah logo, when they rebranded about two years ago when everybody hated it, <laughs> is, is exactly the same. It's red, that's, white, and
1: black. And it's the interesting. Same I didn't spot that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm like, hang on. It's slightly different, but it's the same font and it's the same colours.
1: Huh. That, that is very interesting, given yeah, yeah. The, the uproar at the time.
0: <laughs> yes. Now we're back to the fourth logo, which is very different indeed, which is probably what they should have done. But mm. it's still green, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're green. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, and it, it, it again, it's an interesting story, and it's kind of faction related because Vader's got Two Cold as his right hand man, yeah. uh, the and man who never ages Scorpio. <laughs> we were still talking about Two Cold Scorpio main eventing shows on WrestleMania weekend twenty years later.
1: Yeah, and still cracking out all the stuff he could do before it's yeah ridiculous
0: ridiculous if you want to find out where he's up to if you go back to listen to me and John Dinsdale we talked about the collective shows where he headlined before the culture show wrestling Impact then at the time Impact were heavyweight champion Rich Law. but there you go Mm -hmm. an amazing individual but back to Vader he was he was still a main event player he could still go he was um, still really on top of his game and understood where a monster heel was and mm-hmm. was slow. And for a big man, that was important, especially one who had a reputation for being physical yeah. and being physically intimidating because of his athleticism.
1: Yeah, well he, he even he cracks the moonsault out in this one and everything, doesn't he? The yeah. Vader
0: salt. You you get the full bath. you get the full Vader assault.
1: Which yeah, is it's
0: really important. It's <laughs> very like,
1: you know what we spoke about with the old Japan show where a lot of the gaijins were showing up seeming just to get the payday. This was not that like he was, he'd come to have a great match with Mizawa, and obviously Mizawa is the perfect foil for a guy like Vader because of his style, because he's such a good baby face and so good for at like fighting from the bottom. I think that it, it just works really well. So yeah, it's a great kind of, classic combination if you like
0: yeah it's just and again it's like it's a good stopgap feud Mm. and vader with anyone is a good stopgap feud you know it it makes it it's just required viewing
1: (laughs) yeah i was thinking while watching it it's kind of you know with the way Noah starting as a company it's kind of for a recent comparison if you look at AW and the way they put Jericho up top on in their first year because he's a guy the casual fans are going to recognize and it's kind of the same with this in Japan that you have a feud with Vader and Mazawa at the top of the card you're going to attract eyes to the product meanwhile you can build the rest of the card up while that's taking place
0: yeah exactly and that's pretty much where it was. They were kind of all hands on deck. Everybody had their role in the company. They all knew what their role was, and they went out of their way to make it all
1: work. Yeah, because something we didn't say, it's like when the Noah Exodus happened, they all backed Mizawa. Like, they put all this faith in him. And I know he's obviously a legend and, and everything else, but that's a lot of faith to walk for that many people (laughs) to walk out of a company believing that this guy is gonna you know lead this great new company and everything else. It's a big risk for them all to take. And you know, based on the first few months, obviously he was very true to what he said the company would be. He's also the point and you cannot like
0: express enough how much of a risk it was because the television company owned all japan pro wrestling they owned 10 yeah. percent of the company and the fact that they were leaving meant there was no guarantee of television and the company that owned all japan pro wrestling went with them to noah yeah <laughs> you know they decided that this is the best bet so to have got the tv company on site to start with the owned part of the company you've just left and still did even though they were no longer putting all japan on television anymore
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> which is bizarre i don't yeah. think they did anything about it i kind of think they just let their stock lapse i don't think they even sold it <laughs> but you know it it was it's it's all a bit ridiculous and it's kind of tilting at windmills but it all worked and mm. they had absolute faith in Masawa and tell you to get the job done and they did
1: yeah and that's the thing like you watch this and it's it's worth watching just because it is a very good kind of crash course in the first 5 months of noah and what they were doing with their main their main event scene and you you can see all that hard work going in in the early months that this is this is the direction we're going to take these are the stars that are going to be at the top of the company and let's go, <laughs> basically.
0: <laughs> and that's pretty much where we're at, I think, with these shows, unless there's anything you'd like
1: to add. I think we've covered that pretty extensively. I mean, it's, uh, it's just really exciting, you know, watching the early days of Noah and it taking... It taken shape because when I kind of came to know was probably a couple of years after this when, you know, it's Kobashi's big run on top, basically, when, yeah. you know, via, you know, the Ring of Honor partnerships and everything, I started to get into Noah. So it's interesting to go back and see they're putting the groundwork in for Kobashi's title reign, which, you know, probably still the best title reign in wrestling history we can maybe discuss that at the time but it's still it's still top two or three i would say anyway um the fact that they were putting the groundwork in here for a title reign that wouldn't even start until a couple of years after this shows the level of booking that mizawa was working with basically
0: yeah, I mean there is there is arguments because Akiyama goes on to take the to set the GHC title not long after this mm-hmm. and did quite draw. Um because there was a lack of challenges to him, really, mm-hmm. because he kind of like beat everybody to get there, which was one problem that they had. So yeah. it wasn't all it wasn't all peaches and cream booking. We've got to stress that. Mm-hmm. They still have a lot to learn and had to figure out where to get people in the right places. However, this is where a run of unprecedented success for a small independent company starts yeah. when they finally become a big independent company and they're not an independent company at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, so this is really where we're at. In that case, then, we'll call it it for today on the Beginner's Guide to Professional Wrestling in Japan and the third part on the All Japan Schism. I'd like to thank my guest today, Mr. Alex Watt. Where can we
1: find you on Twitter, sir? So I'm on Twitter at AlexWatt187. Also got a football podcast with my lovely wife, Rebecca, called uh, Did It Cross the Line? We're at Did It Cross on Twitter for more info on that. My question is, when are we covering Kobasi's title ring? I'm (laughs) chomping at the bit for this. (laughs) Well, I suppose we should kind of split
0: them. I think probably the next big thing to talk about is Keiji Muto taking over the book in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Would you not agree?
1: I think that's fair, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, because we're going to probably parallel these two companies for a while to come yet. We'll try and do it like this, where we have one show from All Japan and one show from Noah, to be fair, Mm. um, and then try and and split them that way. And we think we can timeline those up, so that should be interesting. No, it's,
1: it's been really interesting with this one, looking at how different they were at this time, like considering they were rooted in the Giant Baba All Japan stuff, for them to have gone in such wildly different directions in such a short period of time is, is fascinating, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, and anything else you'd like to plug whilst we're talking?
1: uh i think that's it yeah just check out just check out did it cross the line if you're into football okay then
0: um on saturday or friday actually you heard me and christy do the third, second of our in the beginning series where we looked at the making of the king and the story of minoru suzuki so if you would like more that will be coming a patreon uh only uh show fairly soon but we would like some feedback on that. So if you've listened to it and you'd like some suggestions or tell us what you liked about it or what you didn't like about it, please get in touch at Troopany Show on Twitter, Facebook of the Troopany Show. You can contact me at at Sherry Flownstar on Twitter. And of course, you can contact Christy at Smart Infested if you want to let either of us know or the show itself. We'd really appreciate it because we want to make good content for you because that's going to be a Patreon-only show. And thank you very much for listening to me today and to Alex as well. Think
2: Thank I you.
0: I will speak to you soon. Take care.
2: Bye.